Welcome to Move by Grace, the podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel in Cambridge, Ohio. Good morning, everybody. Uh, take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn to the book of Revelation. Hopefully you have it there from our scripture reading. Thank you, Pastor Jeremiah, for doing that for us. We are in chapter 8. Our series is The Day of the Lord. And uh, today we are talking about the greatest revival of all times. That's the title of our message, The Greatest Revival of All Times. Now, before we begin, I just want to state this. One of the things that I've learned as being a father is a gaining an understanding of all your children, what they are, uh, what they um, aren't, who they are, and who they'll become. And then there's, uh, there's this thought of the longing father as he thinks about his wayward child, who doesn't think he knows, but the father does know, and struggles with it. Or the, the time where the father is angry at the disobedient child, the, the one that you know you want to move to North Alaska by themselves, but that wouldn't be right, right? So, each one of them you love uniquely for who they are. And I guess it just reminds me of the Father's love. It reminds me that the Father's love is ripe with grace. And, and, and oftentimes, and in other moments, mercy. And as I pondered my relationship as a father to my children and the relationship that my Heavenly Father has with me, I clearly see the uniqueness and the sameness that it takes on. He is, he is good to his children. He pours out his grace every day. And he loves us. The Bible says God loves us in this way. That he gave his only son to die for us so that we could have eternal life. That's a glorious, glorious truth that we have sung about this morning. Romans tells us that God demonstrates his love towards us in this. While we were still or yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's just love and grace. And don't forget mercy. Have you, have you ever received mercy? Can you think of a time in your life when you didn't get what you really deserved? I was, I was thinking about several occasions this year as, as, or this week as I was kind of Focusing on that and thinking about all of my life, there was mercy moments that my parents showed to me, that I've shown to my children. Mercy is not receiving what you truly deserve. And we are merciful because He is merciful towards us. God is full of mercy for His creation and He shares it every day. How does God share it every day? Well, think about it this way. It's simplest things. We wake up. That's mercy right there. We wake up every morning. We turn on the water and it's drinkable. We, we turn on the lights and it's paid up in full and they come on. We open our fridge and there's food that we can eat. That's, that's mercy. Just in the first five minutes of your life today, mercy. Lamentations 3.22 is a passage that I've, I've often gone to. And it says this, the steadfast love, or that's the, the co covenant hesed love of the Lord 
never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. These mercies are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, it goes on to say. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But those who He causes grief, He will have compassion according to the abundance of His steadfast love. Now mercy, listen, mercy should point, uh, should be a point for the believer of great praise. Let me say that again. Mercy in the life of a believer should be something that you are grateful for, that you praise. Is it something that you have as part of your prayer time? Hebrews tells us that we are to plea for mercy and we are to approach him, pleading for his mercy and asking him to show kindness as he withholds the judgment that we deserve. Have you ever prayed for that? That mercy from the throne of grace? Well, all that to say that today in our text, we're going to see the great mercy of God in last things. Let me say that again. The great mercy of God in last things. With the church gone, the seals are being broken, The Antichrist is trying to control everything and men and women everywhere are turning their backs on God and turning towards the ruler of the world. With all that going on, do you think that God should have mercy? Many would say, no, just wipe them out already. But wait. We may feel that way. But the Apostle Peter said in 2 Peter 3, the Lord is slow to fulfill His promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish and that all should reach repentance. Mercy. Will God save men, women, boys, girls, left behind in the great day of tribulation? The answer, yes. And Revelation 7 is living proof. So, Write this down for a hub for our message today. Behold, the mercy of God is overwhelming. Behold, the mercy of God is overwhelming. I want to look at this in in three groups. There's just three main points today, and I want to look at three groups in the mercy of God in this great revival. Someone has pointed out that this text shows the greatest revival in all of human history, outweighing all other revivals, and I think we'll see that in just a moment. So notice uh, verse 1 of chapter 7. Are you there yet? Are you there? Okay, good. Here we go. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind might blow on the earth or the sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel, verse 2, ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Here's group number one. The group number one revealing God's mercy is the angels. I have just a few points here on this. 
This is just quite an amazing text when you think about what God is revealing here to us. This is not the flat earth theory, okay? Compass points, earth, north, south, east, west. There are four angels standing, holding back literal wind and figuratively speaking, the coming judgment. That word holding back is quite interesting, actually. In the Greek, it means this. Struggling to get free. So I want you to picture that there are these angels that are holding back the wind that is struggling to get free. Like, like uh, some of you have toddlers, and your, your toddler really wants to run after something, but you're holding them back. Or maybe you have a new puppy, and you have chosen to put your puppy on a leash to take them for a walk, and they just don't want to have anything to do with that. And they are just either pulling you far ahead, or they are just trying to get out of that leash. Or maybe you grew up with brothers. I grew up with brothers. And sometimes we got in a little bit of a spat, and sometimes I held them down. I held them back. That's the picture here. These powerful angels are controlling the thing that we have all been trying to harness for years. And between seals 6 and 7, there's no wind at all. I, I want you to think about that. No wind at all. This morning we opened the doors here, just get some air flowing through. But there will be no air flowing through like that. No waves. No moving of pollen to, to seed other plants. It will be a hot mess for sure. Think of those noonday sun, uh, all of you that went to Little League games, and it was noon and it was super hot, but there was still a little bit of a wind to kind of cool you off. That will not be. It's the calm before the storm. We see that and the second angel says, hold off, judging the earth and the sea. The winds of God's judgment are going to come from all four, four corners of the earth, meaning this, he's not going to miss any part of anything. Why no wind? Well, we have to keep reading for that. We see not only the four uh, angels that are holding back the wind, but we see the angel with the seal. This is very descriptive, right? So as we look about this, it says this, I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun. That's very picturesque, very descriptive, right? John is, is looking towards the east because the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. He's on the island of Patmos. He's looking towards Jerusalem and this angel is rising from the east to introduce to us the means of this great revival. That's, that's what's going on here. This angel is going to show us how this great revival will come about. That these that will be sealed with this mark will be those that give God's mercy 144,000. Now, you might think a seal, that seems kind of odd, but a seal in Scripture means a mark of ownership or protection. Dr. David Jeremiah, in his book, uh, The Book of Signs, talked about a seal, and he said, to mark a servant with a seal was to keep him safe from being stolen, abused, or misused. Marks would be placed on the servant's forehead so that people knew who they belonged. Seals in the Bible, uh, were there seals in the Bible? Yes, there were. There were a couple occasions. Uh, first, think of it how God sealed the nation of Israel in the midst of the plague by putting them in their own land, the land of Goshen. It was pictured in the Passover where they were to place a mark or a seal on their door with the blood above and on the sides. And actually, the word for seal or mark 
is that very same image. We might consider it pi, you know, the symbol for pi, where the mark was on the sides of the door and the top. In Hebrew, it meant the very same thing. And in Ezekiel 9, we have a unique text that also talks about sealing those that were holy to the Lord. There was a person who was to go about the city and mark on the foreheads with this mark those that were holy to the Lord and the rest were to be killed. There's one more group that's sealed and it's in the New Testament. Maybe you know the verse in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In him you also have heard the word of truth, Paul writes, your gospel of salvation and believed in him and sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. We were marked with ownership and protection. And he is the guarantor of our inheritance until we acquire possession to the praise of his glory. This seal is on our hearts and we are safe in Jesus. Amen? So it's not a new thing. It's pictured here in the law. It's pictured in the Old Testament. It's pictured in the time of grace in the New Testament. It's pictured again in the time of tribulation. Why? God's mercy. Don't miss that. God's mercy. Don't miss the fact that he stopped the judgment for just a moment to give the world mercy by sealing up 144,000 Jewish, unstoppable, unmarried, virgin men. We'll see that in the text. Jeremiah read where they all came from. But Paul said of of himself, and I think it's kind of looking forward to these men, that he was untimely born. He said that in 1 Corinthians 15.8. He said he was untimely born, meaning that he was not in the first wave of believers, but in the second. He wasn't with the disciples. He wasn't there at Pentecost as a believer, but God saved him uniquely in a different time for a different purpose. And these 144,000 were not of the age of grace. They were not of the church age but they were born in a time of tribulation. Let's look at the text. In the text, it says in verse 4, and I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And he goes on in verses 5 through 8 to list them. Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. Who was missing? Do you know? Dan and Ephraim were missing, actually. And the reason for that was because they were... The the Scripture says in Deuteronomy that any tribe that introduces idolatry into Israel, their name will be blotted out from under heaven. Judges 18 and 1 Kings 12, Dan and Ephraim do just that. So some might wonder, well, where are they? Well, for this time of sharing the truth of God... They are not part of this 144,000. Let's look at their description. Let's look at their description for just a minute. Notice that they were sealed for God. Look at verse 3. Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Remember, sealed was protection, ownership. So, a little bit about this second group, this 144,000 that show us the mercy of God. They're sealed for God. They're spared from the wrath of God. 
In fact, the wrath was coming for the unbelieving, but these were sealed in verses 1 and 2 that, that, that they would have the mark on their forehead. And actually, in chapter 14, we'll see that they have survived the tribulation. Number three, they're separated unto God. Verses 1 through 8, we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. The fourth thing is that they're strong in their faith. And for that, I want to go forward just a couple chapters to chapter 14. In verses 4 and 5, it says this. Talking of the 144,000 in the Lamb, it says, It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as the first fruits of God and the Lamb. And in, the, in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. These were strong in their faith. They had not defiled themselves in sexual immorality. They were virgins. They did not marry. They followed the Lamb wherever He went. They had been redeemed. First fruits, it says. And in their mouth was no lie found. For they were blameless. Man, it would be awesome to say that of ourselves, right? How much we often struggle. But these, these 144,000, they were sealed for God. They were spared from His wrath. They were separated unto Him. And they were super strong in their faith. Lastly, they were secure during the time of tribulation. By chapter 14, we see that they are standing. I looked, verse 1, and behold... On the Mount of Zion stood the Lamb with the 144,000. Now, at the end of the tribulation, we have this 144,000 standing with the Lamb. Secure, safe. Nothing could touch them. These were God's men. I wrote this. Many of them, uh, in, the, in some of the older commentaries I read, called them Billy Sundays. Now, that, that would be lost on a lot of us. Uh, some of us understood who Billy Sunday was. These were... Uh, he was a great evangelist, but uh, I said these were Paul-like missionaries to the world. The revival mentioned next was to the nations, and that word nations in the Greek meant all the Gentile nations. These 144,000 sealed by God go out into the world to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ for their lifetime. They are serving him. And going to those who in their lifetime have inadvertently rejected God by the way they lived. And, and now they're, God is making a way for them to come. Look at verse 3. How many? Or look at group number 3. How many come? How many come? A lot. Everybody say a lot. Write a lot in the chat right now. Okay? Look at verse 9 with me. Back to chapter 7. Verse 9, we have the 144,000 that have gone out, and after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. So we realize that there's, there's like a, a number limit when John is writing. We have numbers that we could, you know, go to billions, trillions, and I don't even know what goes beyond that, quadrillions, gazillions whatever it may be, they went to 10,000 times 10,000. That was their biggest number. And John's looking at this multitude going, we can't even count how many people came in. But it's a great multitude. And where were they from, John? Where were they from? Around the globe. Every 
nation. Every nation. And, and, and be specific, John. Okay. All tribes. All groupings of people, in other words. All peoples. We think of all the different people groups in our culture being saved. There's a massive group now gathering before the throne. All languages. All languages. This isn't God for America. This is God around the world saving people everywhere through these 144,000. But notice their earthly reality. They were martyred. The reality is that more believers will die at the hand of the Antichrist and his people than any Holocaust in previous world dictators' history. As they claim the name of Christ, listen, as they stand firm for the gospel and do not give in to the false Messiah, the people of the Antichrist will rise up against them. Capital punishment will be everywhere for embracing the real Jesus versus not embracing the fake Jesus. And we know that they're martyred because of where they are. They are standing before the throne. That echoes back to the fifth seal where they are crying out from the very throne room of God, how long, O oh Lord? What's their role in heaven? I want you to notice their role is different than the church. Their role is different than the church because they are standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, verse 10, and crying out with a loud voice. They're standing before the throne. They're praising God for His salvation. That's, that's mercy. They didn't come during the time of grace. They had rejected somehow the idea. Now they had come not getting what they deserved, mercy. And they're serving and worshiping the Lord and the Lamb. And the church, that's different. The church isn't serving the Lord. They're ruling and reigning with the Lord. And they're serving day and night. Notice verse 15. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. It's, it's a, a beautiful worship service pictured here. They are thanking God for their salvation. They didn't realize in their lifetime that they needed a Savior. Yet God in His mercy, in the midst of great tribulation, saved them. Let's pause for just a moment and look at the worship, worship services that we've seen so far in heaven. They have different themes. They're not all kind of the same. They have different themes. Number one, a worship service we see is, is praising God the Father for creation. Chapter 4, verse 11 says, You are worthy, O Lord and God, for you have created all things. And this massive worship service erupts out of that. The second worship service we see is praising the Lamb for His redemption and for taking back what is His. Chapter 5, verse 9 says, Worthy are you, the Lamb, to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you have ransomed a people for God. And this third worship service now we see salvation for those saved in the tribulation. Look at verse 10. We see their words that they are saying. He says, After this I looked, and a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation! Salvation! Belongs to our God 
who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What a noise this praise service must have been. Right after this, there's two amens. There's a sevenfold hymn that we're going to look at in just a second. And it all is rightly pointed at the Godhead. Think of it for just a minute. There is this, we've already talked about what is in this giant throne room, right? We've talked about that there were angels, myriads and myriads of angels. We talked that there were, there were the church, the 24 elders, and there were the four uh, living creatures. And now in the midst between the Lamb, uh, between the church and the Lamb and the Father, we have this great multitude of martyred saints. Think of the noise. Think of the noise that this must have. Thanking and praising God for the mercy of their salvation. Let that sink in. Listen to what they say. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne in worship saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Can you imagine the noise? What a mighty God we serve. Amen. So who are they? Who are they? Who are these that have come out of the great tribulation? Well, John kind of gets a, a rhetorical question from one of the 24 elders. In verse 13, he says, One of the elders said to me, Who are these clothed in white robes? And John just says, Sir, you know. In other words, I don't know, but you know. And that elder answered, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. For they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. I couldn't get over that this week, thinking about if you just washed anything in blood, it doesn't turn white. Only in the blood of the Lamb. Are we cleansed from all unrighteousness? I want to say this very emphatically. Very matter of fact. This is not the church. This group of people that we are talking are not the church. The church is gathered in the time of grace. From the time of the cross to the rapture of the church is the time of grace. We call that the church age. Besides, the raptured church is already present here in in this time, the 24 elders around the throne from every tribe and language and people and nation. So then who are they? The text says these are the ones that have come out of the great tribulation by their deaths. Those martyred for not taking the mark of the beast and receiving salvation from the real Christ. Behold the mercy of God. Even in great tribulation, he is still saving souls. I find that very comforting. And I hope you do too. We can get lost in all of this thinking this is the God of judgment, yet His mercy is running always with Him side by side to reach out for those in need. And I want you to notice what God does for them. Notice verse 13, the elders are asking who is this and He explains who they are, but He doesn't stop there. Notice, what does God do for them? Verses 15 through 17. Now, this is precious. I kind of get a little emotional with this part. This part sounds very, very familiar. Maybe you can think of the psalm as I read this. 
He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. That's mercy right there. They shall hunger no more. They shall thirst no more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Think of all that they went through in the first six seals. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will shepherd, will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Does that sound familiar? Shelter, nourishment, protection, fulfillment, feeding. It reminds me of a psalm. Let me quote it for you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare for me before my enemies a table. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will dwell with me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, this is beautiful. David is saying this of the living and now in heaven, the shepherd, our great lamb, is leading them to living water, is feeding them. They will thirst no more. They will be sheltered in his presence. That is the merciful God we serve. If we look at all of this, there's part of us that just wants God to deal with sin and just wants God to deal with evil people. And God will. But I want us to know that in the midst of all of that, God is still being merciful. He is saving until the very end. For conclusions, I just have two things to think about. Believer, I say to you, behold the mercy of the Lord. This is the God we serve every day. We, we see his mercy and grace and love unfold all around us, even in the midst of all of what we're going through right now. God is being faithful to his word, is being merciful to a mankind that is still rejecting him. We, we should want to abide in him. We should want to bear much fruit and experience a little taste of heaven. My challenge for you is to meditate on the mercy that he has given you in salvation. Think about your sanctification and how he is mercifully changing you to be more like his dear son. Think about his merciful forgiveness that when 1 John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the merciful God that we serve. For those of you that have never trusted Christ as your Savior, I say this, now is the time. Because there, there is a fear that I have in preaching a message like this that, that after the rapture of the church, you're out of time. 
uh, but now all of a sudden that seems to change and people will get saved. Well, I'll just wait till then. Well, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. And we are never, ever, ever, ever to assume that we have more time. Now is the time. The devil is a liar. And his people are ones who will manipulate you. And you may never, ever, ever have a chance like this ever again. Do the wise thing. Turn to Jesus today. I think of the words that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians speaking of this time. And it kind of is very sobering in my mind. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan. He writes in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9, with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because, listen, don't refuse him now, because it says in his word, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends among them strong delusions so that they may believe what is false in order that they may be condemned. That verse tells me there's no guarantee. You reject him now. There's no guarantee. Now is the time of salvation. Turn to him today. Believer, you are sustained by his mercy and you are to stand firm in it and you are to meditate on it and thank him for it and plead for it in your prayers. Those of you who are curious about Jesus, never fully invested in a life with Jesus, flat out want to not believe in Jesus, I say repent for now is the time of salvation. Come to him today. Never assume you have a tomorrow. He's calling you now. Showing you how beautiful his mercy is. That even in the midst of judgment, he longs for you to come and be saved. Will you? I pray that you will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today in the strong name of Jesus our Savior, thanking you that you are a merciful God. As we navigate through this closing book, this unveiling, this opening of your judgment on sin, you're dealing with Israel, you're dealing with Satan, And all of his minions, Father, we are mindful even in the midst of that you are still saving souls and you are so good. There is none like you. You love in an unbelievable way in that while we are still yet sinners, you you sent your son to die for us. You, You convict us of our sins. You draw us to repentance and you save us. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that if if there is one watching today that has never trusted you is just trying to figure out the right time that you would impress upon them that today is the day of salvation that they would do as Romans 10 13 says call to you and you will answer them call on the name of the Lord and they will do that they will cry out in their sinfulness asking for forgiveness that that you will save them we ask that you would do that you desire that no man would perish but we realize that there is a day. There is a day coming. And so, Father, we do pray in Jesus' name.
for the lost to be saved today. Help us to do our part in sharing this gospel, this gospel message. Father, we pray that even those watching now would, who want to cry out to you but don't know what to say would even follow after me. Father in heaven, forgive me for my sinfulness. I ask that you would save me. Your word tells me to ask you for that, and I am doing that. I'm calling out to you to save me and trusting that you will by Jesus, the righteous one, in whose name I pray. Amen. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, I'd love to hear from you. Please don't feel uh, shy about emailing me and letting me know. Uh, I'd love to pray with you some more, and, and we can talk offline. But uh, as, it, as it is today, the thought, behold, the mercy of God. What a merciful God. Church, revel in it. Stand firm in it. Be sustained by it. And preach the message of the gospel because of it. You are loved. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Harvest Bible Chapel in Cambridge, Ohio, check out our website at harvestcambridge.org or like us on Facebook at Harvest Cambridge. You are loved.